Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhu. Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina. Man yahdihillahu falamudilla lah. Wa man yudlilhu falahadiyya lah. Wa nashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah. Wa nashadu anna sayyidana wa habibana muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Amma ba'du fa'udhu billahi min ashaytani rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ وقال الله عز وجل لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده وولده والناس أجمعين وقال عليه الصلاة والسلام لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يكون هواه تبعا لما جئت به أو كما قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صدق الله العلي العظيم وصدق رسوله النبي الكريم ونحن على ذلك لمن الشاهدين والشاكرين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد جزا الله عنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله اللهم آتيه الوسيلة والفضيلة وبعثه مقاما محمودا الذي وعدته وجزه عنا أفضل ما جازيت نبيا عن قومه ورسولا عن أمته وصل على جميع إخوانه من النبيين والصالحين يا أرحم الراحمين وبعد The topic for today is the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم as a mercy to mankind That was the topic but when you look at the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ That he was not a mercy just to the mankind. He was the mercy to the entire existence of everything. Alam, like literally means the world. And alameen is plural. So what does that mean? Like literally everything that is in existence, Rasulullah was sent as a mercy. Today, I, they, they told me 40 minutes to talk, 40, 45 minutes. I don't know if you guys have the patience or I have the strength to talk for 45 minutes. I, I do not consider myself a speaker, uh, you know, but subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you these opportunities. Uh, we make dua that Allah accepts from us. So anything that I say which is Correct is truly from Allah. Anything that I make a mistake is from myself and from Shaitan al-Rajim. Today I want to just split it into two different aspects of Rasulullah life. One is everything's kindness and everything's treatment towards Rasulullah. How everyone and everything treated Rasulullah and the next uh, the, the little bit, we'll talk about how Rasulullah treated others. When we look at the seerah of Rasulullah subhanAllah is so detailed and we can talk about so many different aspects of Rasulullah but inshallah we'll limit it to just these two aspects for tonight. When we look at the seerah, Rasulullah he goes to Masjid Jinn. He goes to uh, a place which is nowadays known as Masjid Jinn. He met with the jinn there, the jinn kind. And they complained, they said, Ya Rasulullah, we have two complaints. One is that the people, they use bones to clean themselves after using the bathroom. And the bones are our food. And the second is that they urinate inside of holes under the trees, and those are our homes. Rasulullah from that day, he forbade anybody from using the bones for cleaning themselves and from urinating into any holes. They understood, they knew that Rasulullah would take care of them. And he is the one who is going to make sure that any difficulty that they're going through, that it will be taken care of by the words of Rasulullah Once Rasulullah he was walking and a camel he came towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And subhanAllah, he was a messenger of Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked, who owns this camel? A sahabi, he came forward, he said, Ya Rasulullah, this is my camel. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, this camel is complaining to me that when it was younger, you took a lot of work from it. 
Now that he has become older, you're not giving it enough food to take care of him. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, take care of those who cannot speak for themselves. He's talking about animals. We talk about animal rights, right? Talk about animal rights. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, these Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them the ability to speak on the day of judgment and they will come and they will speak against you on the day of judgment. We need to be careful of how we treat these animals. Sayyidatuna Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says this hadith is mentioned in Muslim Ahmad. She says that we had a goat in the house. What does a goat do? It makes noise, right? All the time. She says, I swear by Allah, as soon as Rasulullah would enter the house, this goat would not make a single sound until he left the house. Allah did not want this goat harming the, the feelings and the emotions of Rasulullah. It would not make a single sound until he left the house, then he would go back to making noise. There is a narration that comes. On the authority of Sayyidina Jabir radiallahu ta'ala this is mentioned in, Muslim, uh, in Sahih Muslim, that Sayyidina Jabir radiallahu ta'ala says, once we were traveling with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, returning from a battle, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam needed to use the restroom. But there was no boulder, there were no trees where he can use the restroom. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam looked at one tree on one side of the, the open field, and there was another tree on the other side of the field. Rasulullah said to Jabir, Jabir, go and tell the trees to come together so I can use the restroom behind it. Jabir says, I went, where's the ear? Where am I supposed to talk? He said, but this was the command of Rasulullah He said, Rasulullah is telling you to come together so he can use the restroom. He said, Wallahi, before I finish the sentence, the, the, the ground opened up and the trees, they came together until they formed a barrier. Rasulullah went and used the restroom behind it. And then when he was done, the trees went back to their place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped Rasulullah he had everything around Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam protecting him. We know before even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam received the first revelation, the clouds used to cover him so he would not uh, get the heat from the, from the sun. Trees used to bend to give him shade. He would walk and they would say, Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah. Trees and boulders alike. This is before he even received the first revelation. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he came to Medina to Munawwara, the first thing that he did was what? What did he build first? The masjid. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam built the masjid before his own home. He used to live in the house of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam built the masjid. When the masjid was built, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, normally when he would give khutbah, there used to be a, a trunk of a tree, a tree that was cut down, so it was only the trunk. So Rasulullah would go and lean against that trunk to give his khutbah. So after some time, the Sahaba came to him and they said, Ya Rasulullah, should we not build a mimbar for you so that you can stand on the mimbar and you'll be able to see everyone? Rasulullah, he was so simple. He said, If you wish. If you wish, you want to build a mimbar. You know, once uh, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab he came to see Rasulullah and he was lying down on his bed. Rasulullah he got down off of his cot. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab started crying. Because when Rasulullah came off of his cot, the impressions of the bedding was on the back of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, Ya Rasulullah, 
Are you not the mercy of both, of both the worlds? Are you not the king of this world and the hereafter? Ya Rasulullah, the kings of this world, the, the rulers of this world, they're living in luxury. And Ya Rasulullah, you do not even have a bed where you're comfortable that the bedding that you have is leaving an imprint on your body. It was made out of burlap. You know, the, the rice sack, the, the one they fill, burlap, the brown material. And you know what he asked? He said, Ya Rasulullah, should we not make a comfortable bedding for you? What is that comfortable bedding? The comfortable, comfortable bedding was, Ya Rasulullah, we will take a piece of, of skin and the leather and we'll stuff it with leaves and bark of a tree so that you will be comfortable on it. Once Sayyidatuna Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, she was sitting when, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, normally he would sleep inside his house. The cot used to be inside. And when it used to be summer, he used to move it outside and he used to sleep outside of his home. So during the winter months in Medina, it gets very, very cold. So he would sleep inside. And then when it became uh, better, like in springtime, when the weather would be better, he would move outside. And I don't know how many of you have seen those homes. We have it in the sub, uh, Indian subcontinent where I think in uh, uh, Arabia also, where you have the house and then you have the front uh, yard inside of your gate. So you have the open yard and then you have the gate to, to, to show the boundary of your house. So the front yard is inside your, your, your house. So that's how Rasulullah's house was towards the back though. Because we know that the, the front of the, the, the house was towards the masjid, that it would come out into the masjid itself. But so anyways, so he would go outside and normally he would change on a Thursday night. So Thursday night, he would go outside and start sleeping outside for all of summer. And then Thursday night, he would come back and sleep inside the home in all of winter. So anyways, when he, when, one day he went and, and what was his bedding? You know, mashallah, we sleep on what? Thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollar mattresses, right? Our bedroom sets are, mashallah, five thousand dollars. He had one sheet that they used to put half of it on, on, on the cot to cover and then half of it to take it over themselves as a blanket. This was his, his bed. So one day Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala, she said that it's summer, it's hot, so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would not cover himself. So let me just make the, 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 the bed more comfortable, so let me fold the blanket twice. So that way it will be a little bit softer. She did that. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came and he said, Hafsa, what did you do to the bedding? Did you change the bedding? She said, no, Ya Rasulullah, it's the same bedding. I just folded it double so it will be more comfortable. He said, Hafsa, put the, the bedding back to the way it was. I'm afraid that this will prevent me from getting up in the middle of, night, of the night and standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Umar radiallahu ta'ala says, Ya Rasulullah, should we not make this bedding for you? What did he say? He said, Ya Umar. Mali walid dunya. He said, Mali walid dunya. What do I have to do with this world? Ma anafid dunya illa karakibin istadalla tahta shajaratin thumaraha wa tarakaha. In this world, I'm like a traveler who comes and, and seeks shade under a tree. And when he gets a little bit of rest, he continues his journey. That we're in this world for a short period of time. When we're, we have to go through this life, when we go to a hotel room, do we start setting it up? Where, mashallah, you start hanging pictures and you start, uh, mashallah, you know, buying furniture. No. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, in this dunya, we're like a traveler. We're here. We're, we have to cover this journey. But our main life is in the hereafter. After we leave this, this world. We spend so much energy in this world. You ask every person who's working, maybe, you know, uh, 50, 60, 70, even 80 hours a week. Brother, why are you doing this? I want to give a good life to my family, for my wife and my kids. But my question is, what about that life that is going to last forever? How much are we investing for that life? How much time and energy are we spending for that life? This life we're going to live 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. What about after that? Then? It's that everlasting life that is never going to end. It's forever. So the, 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 the effort should be proportionate. Right? Anyways. So 
when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when the Sahaba asked, Ya Rasulullah, should we build this member? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, if you wish. So they built the member. We know he had three steps, when the famous hadith when he said, Ameen, Ameen, Ameen. So when the member was built, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the first khutbah, he goes on the member. The Sahaba, they say, after some time, we started hearing some sound. And the sound kept on getting louder and louder. And the words of the hadith is, Aneen. Anna ya'unno in Arabic, it means to whimper. You know, child, when the child is crying, but is trying not to cry. It's like, <laughs> that whimpering. And they said the whimpering kept on getting louder and louder until we realized that it's coming from that trunk, the dead tree. He said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came down from the mimbar and he went to that tree and he spoke to that tree. He came on the mimbar and he said that trunk was disheartened that I will not be leaning against it anymore. And wallahi, if I did not go and, and console it, it would have cried till the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala surrounded Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with all, with everything that was willing to help Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Once Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was, when he was returning from Tabuk, the famous battle on the border of Arabia against the Byzantine Empire. The journey was long, difficult journey, not, not enough provisions. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is returning and a Jewish woman invites Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for food. And we know generally Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not refuse an invitation, whoever it was from. So he accepted the invitation. The Sahaba, they go with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to eat. The food is put down. She roasted meat. They present it to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Sahaba. They're all waiting for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to start eating. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam picks up a piece and he puts it in his mouth. And the Sahaba, they start taking piece, pieces from, from that meat. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam takes out the piece of meat. He said, stop. He said, don't eat. He said, call the hostess, the Jewish woman. She came, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked her, that did you poison this meat? She said, yes. He said, why? She said, I've been hearing all these people talking about you, that you are the reason why the families are breaking up, why the mother is not talking to the son and the, the daughter is, is, is going away from the father. So I thought if, if I kill you, then we would be uh, you know, free from all of this. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at that time he did not say anything to her but one of the sahaba had eaten and then when he passed away then he took had from her that's a separate incident but my point is the sahaba asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ya Rasulullah how did you know that this meat was poisoned Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said when I put that piece of meat in my mouth the meat spoke to me he said Ya Rasulullah I have been poisoned do not eat me because I do not want to become the means of harming your body I do not want to become the means of harming your body Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we know in Hajjatul Wada' he sacrificed 100 camels 100 camels and we know Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he slaughtered 73 of them with his own blessed hand and 27 of them was by Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala every time he would slaughter one camel three or four or five of them would rush towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because they knew what an honor it was to be slaughtered by the hands of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Everyone and everything was willing to be sacrificed for the defense of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Once there was a sahabi, um, if I remember correctly, it was Hilal ibn Umayyah radiallahu ta'ala He was captured by the kuffar and they took him outside of the hudud to kill him. And they were about to behead him. And this Abu Jahl, you know, mockingly he said, would you not like it if Muhammad was in your place and you were comfortable sitting home with your family? That Muhammad is in your place and you're safe and sound with your family. I think it was Abu Sufyan who said this. You know, what was his reply? He said, I would rather give my life than seeing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam being pricked by a thorn. I would give up my life. I would die 
than seeing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam just being pricked by a thorn. That's how much love they had for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Let's flip to the other side. Talk about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You know, we can talk about how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was as a son to Halima al-Sa'diya radiyallahu ta'ala. We know he did not stay with Amina, uh, his uh, uh, mother, uh, for too long when he was a baby. And then we can talk about how he was as a husband to Khadija and Aisha radiyallahu anuma. We can talk about how he was uh, a father to Zainab, Ruqayya, Umm Kulthum, Fatima. We can talk about how he was a son-in-law to Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anuma. We can talk about what kind of father-in-law he was to Ali and Uthman radiyallahu anuma. Commander-in-Chief of the Muslim Army, leader to the community. We can talk about how he was a friend to the Sahaba and a slave of Allah and a servant of Allah in the middle of the night when he's worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How he was sent as a guide to all of humanity. We can talk about how he was sent as a prophet to the people. We can talk about his business practices before he even started preaching Islam. We can talk about his judgment between when he ruled between two people. We can talk about him as a jurist, as a neighbor, as a relative. Subhanallah, there we can go on and on. As as the poet says, Hasunat Jami'u Khisalihi Sallu Alihi Alihi, that everything, everything is for the service of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Anyways, when we when we talk about the compassion of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when we talk about his the side of mercy, there is no bigger example than the example of Fath Makkah. Can you imagine you were born in a city? You were raised in that city. You grew up to be an adult in that city. You spend your youth and your adulthood until you're, the, you're at the age of 53. That's your entire life, right? That you spend in a city and then you're made to leave that city. And imagine when you're coming back to conquer that city. What should be your demeanor? Normally a person would be like his chest out. You guys kicked me out of the city. I'm going to come and take it. And there was no war. There was no comparison. When Rasulullah walked in with Sahaba, Abu Sufyan had not accepted Islam yet. He told Abu Sufyan, he said, come and stand here. He came to see him. He said, stand here. And he saw the army of the Muslims walking by him. Everybody holding a group with the, with, with, uh, you know, the leader in the front with, the, with the, their own flag. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was explaining to him, this is this group, this is this group, this is this group, this is this group. There was no war, there was no fight. Just walked in. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, even before, when he was still in Medina, there was a sahabi, by the, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent some sahaba, uh, he said, go find out what is happening in Mecca, because he wanted this to be a surprise. So they came back and they said, yeah, everything seems normal. They, because remember, they, they broke the treaty, right? So the treaty, the Sulh Hudaybiyah, the treaty of Hudaybiyah that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had with them, which favored the, the, the kuffar. Uh, like literally, it was one-sided. Again, that is a talk of its own. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he said, prepare yourselves, we're going to Makkah. Can you imagine the, the happiness of Sahaba radiallahu anhum? There was a one Sahabi by the name of Hatib ibn Abi Balta'a radiallahu ta'ala anhum. He had some family in Makkah, so he wrote a letter telling his family that Rasulullah is coming, so protect yourselves. And he gave this letter to a woman who was going to Makkah and said, go give it to my family. Of course, Rasulullah was informed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so he uh, told Ali, Miqdad ibn al-Aswad and Abu Marthad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, these three sahaba, he said, go and you find this woman going on, uh, on, on the route to Makkah and in such and place, such and place you'll find her and she has a letter, bring, that, bring her and the letter back to me. So they went and they found the woman exactly how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa described her and they said, give us the letter. She said, what letter? I don't have any letter. So they said, no, Rasulullah sallallahu said, you have it, so you must have it. They searched her belongings, they did not find it. Ali radiallahu ta'ala said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, you have it. If we have to take off all your clothes to find it, we'll find it. So she took her braids apart and she had it in, hidden inside her braids. She took out the letter and she gave it to them. They brought her and the letter to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He looked at it, he's from Hatim. He said, call Hatim. And who's waiting there? Ali, I mean Umar radiallahu anhu with his sword. Right? He was always ready with his sword. He said, Umar, wait, let him speak. He said, what happened? Hatim. 
Hati bin Abi Balta radiyallahu ta'ala He said, Ya Rasulullah, inni aslamtu ma kafartu wa la radattu. Ya Rasulullah, I have accepted Islam. I have nor turned, turned away from Islam, nor I have accepted kufr. But I have this family and I knew that if it was the wish of Allah to, for, for Makkah to come under you, it would happen, regardless of what I did. I just wanted my family to be safe. What did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam do? He said, I have forgive you. I forgive you. Normally, what happens when you go against the government, when you go against your own people, capital punishment. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was sent, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ You know, this is the general perception that in Fath Makkah, people were killed. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was killing everybody. You know, when he, was start, when he, when he came closer, close to Makkah, there were his cousins, from both from his father's side and mother's side, who were against him the entire time he was in Makkah. They came and they said, you know, you're our cousin, please forgive us. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, can you imagine the emotions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? That what must he be feeling? Umm Salama radiallahu ta'ala is there. She says, Ya Rasulullah, these are your cousins, forgive them. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, go, you're forgiven. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam comes into Makkah. What is his demeanor? He's sitting on his, on his camel. His head is lowered. His, uh, his gaze is on the back of the animal. No pride, no arrogance. Normally, if you look at any leader of any country and they were going to invade another country, they would, they would show their strength. Rasulullah knew at this moment his strength and the strength of the Muslims was such that there was going to be no war and they could not stand in the, in the, on the way of the Muslims conquering Makkah. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he has his head down. And what is he saying? Alhamdulillah, alladhi anjaza wa'da, nasara abda, a'azza junda, hazam al-ahzaba wahda. This is what he's saying. He's saying, all praises to Allah who fulfilled his promise. What was the promise? Anybody remember? When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was leaving, he climbed a mountain where he, from where he could see the Kaaba and he could see Makkah. And he said, Wallahi, I love you. You're the most beloved land to me. If it were not for my people making me leave, I would have never left. At that moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse. Inna ila ma'ad. He, he's saying that by that being who revealed the Quran to you, you're going to come back to your roots which was Makkah. So this was the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillahi alladhi anjaza wa'da. He fulfilled his promise. Nasara abda, helped his servant. A'azza junda, helped his army. Hazam al-ahzaba wahda. And he defeated all the armies by himself. Nobody else, no fight needed, no art, nothing. Just walk in. He goes to the house of Umahani radiallahu ta'ala anha. He showers. Pray, comes to the Kaaba, he prays two rakahs inside the Kaaba. All the kuffar of Quraysh are gathered there. Some of them who, who were, you can say, the extreme against Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, extremists, right? Against Islam. They ran away because they knew Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because of their uh, atrocities, he would not forgive them. But generally, all the kuffar of Quraysh, even though they were against Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they're all in the, uh, uh, in the haram. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam comes out of the Kaaba, and he says, what do you think will happen today? What should be done with you today? And what is, they, 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 they know the, how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is. They say, ya Rasulullah, we hope nothing but mercy from you. Muhammad, we hope nothing but mercy. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what did he say? He said, I will echo the sentiments of my cousin Yusuf when he said, La tathriba alaykum al-yawm, yaghfirullahu li wa lakum wa huwa arhamur rahimeen. That, that Yusuf alayhi salam, remember what his brothers did to him? And what did he say? He said, you're, you're, you're forgiven today. May Allah forgive you. I also forgive you. 
He said, I echo the same sentiments that I have forgiven. Not only did he forgive, he said, Abu Sufyan, he said, any person who goes and enters the house of Abu Sufyan, he is saved, he is protected. Nobody will harm him. Any person who enters the Kaaba is protected. Any person who holds on to the, uh, the cloth of the Kaaba, that person is protected. He took the name of, of the, the, the leaders of Quraysh and he said, any person who goes and, and enters their house, they, they will be protected and no Muslim will harm them. But there were 15 people that Rasulullah took their names, 15. And he said, even if they're holding onto the, on the cloth of the Kaaba, they should be killed. L let's forget everybody else. Look at these 15. I'm going to talk about one, one, one or two of them. Number one, Ikrima ibn Abi Jahl. Who knows who's Ikrima? Who's Abu Jahl? Yes. Abu Jahl, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa called him what? Fir'aunu hadihi al-ummah. He said, Abu Jahl is Fir'aun of this ummah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this, uh, this verse, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يُجَادِلُ فِي اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ وَلَا هُدًا وَلَا كِتَابٍ مُنِيرٍ They said, a person, there's some people who like to argue without any knowledge and without any proof, and they said it was revealed about Abu Jahl. So Ikrima, his son, and just to give you perspective of why Ikrimah was one of them, do you know the Battle of Uhud? When the Muslims, they suffered the most casualties in any war. When the, 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 the army was coming, there were two flanks. The right flank of 100 horsemen. There was a left flank of 100 horsemen. And the rest of the army was on foot in the middle. One side of this was... Khalid ibn al-Walid, and another side was Ikrimna ibn Abi Jahl. That's Ikrima. He had a huge hand in the, 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 the Muslims being martyred on that day. When, when he found out Rasulullah is coming, he, went, he ran away towards Yemen. He boarded a ship which was going towards Yemen. And there was a storm. What happens in a storm? They said there is no atheist on a sinking ship. Have you heard that before? There's no, everyone's praying. So Ikrima is praying to all the idols, save me. So the people that are there, they say, pray to Allah. I don't know how many of you, do you know that, that even the kuffar of Quraysh, even, the, uh, the, 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 even though they were mushrikeen, they still believed in Allah, right? They believed in the idols to be the medians to connect them to Allah. But they believed in Allah. So they said, pray to Allah. Why are you praying to the idols? Pray directly to Allah. So he said, Ya Allah, if you save me from this storm, I will go and pledge my allegiance to Muhammad. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves him. He comes, he lands. In the meantime, his wife, whose, whose name was Ummi Hakim bin Harith ibn Hisham, she comes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she accepted Islam. She said, Ya Rasulullah, my husband is fearful for his life, that's why he ran away. Can you forgive him? He's not even there. She comes to, to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she says, Ya Rasulullah, I can bring him back, but if you give him amnesty, if you forgive him, then I can bring him back. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, literally two words, he said, Huwa amin, he's protected. He's protected. Ikrima, he comes to land, and then she goes and she, she starts looking for him and she, she starts bringing him to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Look at the kindness of my Habib sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When he was coming and he's informed by Allah that Ikrima is coming, what does he say to his sahaba who are sitting around him? He says, يَأْتِيكُمْ عِكْرِيمَةُ مُسْلِمًا فَلَا تَسُبُّوا أَبَاهُ فَإِنَّ سَبَّ الْمَيِّتِ يُؤْذِي الْحَيَّ وَلَا يَبْلُغُ الْمَيِّتِ he said, Ikrima is coming to you and I'm hopeful he will accept Islam. Forget saying anything about him. Don't say anything even about his father because cursing someone who has passed away, it will not reach him that curse, but it will hurt the feelings of those who are still alive. He said, don't say anything negative about his father Abu Jahl in front of him. 
We know Abu Jahl did not accept Islam. Ikrimah comes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he says, my wife told me that you, you said I will not be harmed. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said yes. He said, pray for me. Every time I read this dua, it makes me cry. You know the dua that Rasulullah made for him at this moment. Look at the wordings. He said, Allahumma ghfillahu kulla adawatin adaniha. Oh Allah, forgive him for every enmity that he had against your deen. Wa kulla masirin sarafihi ila mawdi'in yuridu bidhalika al-masiri itfa'anurik. And any step, forget every single step that he took in going to go and erase your deen from the face of this earth. Look at the details. He knows how much he worked hard to eradicate Islam from the face of this earth. And he's making dua that, Ya Allah, every step that he took and his intention was to wipe out Islam. Ya Allah, every step, forgive his every step. And that's not it. وَغْفِرْ لَهُ مَا نَالَ مِنِّي مِنْ عِرْضٍ فِي وَجْهٍ أَوْ أَنَا غَائِبٌ عَنْ Ya Allah, anything that he has said in my honor, whether in front of me, whether behind me, Ya Allah, forget everything he has said. Everything he said, everything he did, every step is forgiven. He said, if you can make dua for a person like me, he said, I have no choice but to say, أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ He accepted Islam. Another person who was to be killed on that day, one of those 15, his name was Habbar ibn al-Aswad. Have you heard his name before? His name? Habbar ibn al-Aswad. He was one of the, 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 the people of Mecca. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa let me know if it's getting long. I think we've, we've already had it. I'll start wrapping up, inshallah, five minutes. Is that okay? Everyone okay? Five, five minutes, inshallah? So, okay. Okay. Uh, so when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, how old was he when he married Khadija radiallahu anha? Youngsters. 25. He was 25 years old. And how old was Khadija radiallahu anha? 40. 40. She was 40, he was 25. So she gets married. And after five years, they have their first daughter Zainab radiallahu anha. When Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha becomes a little bit older, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She said, I think our daughter is get ready to get married. And I have a perfect match for her. Abu al-As ibn al-Rabi. He was one of the well-known and wealthy people of Makkah. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he never used to refuse the, any request of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala. When you pick up the books of Hadith, it's amazing. Mashallah, and we look at our men nowadays, MashaAllah, everyone is like, they want to show who's the boss. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, once he was sitting, and Aisha radiallahu ta'ala was sitting with, with him. And a person came and said, Ya Rasulullah, I want to invite you, invite you for some food. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Aisha, can Aisha come with me? He said, no, just you. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, no, it's okay, I don't want to come. Keeping in mind the emotions of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Anyways, so when she said, I want to get Zainab married to Abu al-As ibn Rabi, if the Prophet said, if you think that's a good match, Bismillah, go ahead. So they were married. When Rasulullah received the first revelation, then, of course, everybody, Khadija and all the daughters, they accepted Islam. Abu al-As ibn Rabi did not accept Islam. And the Kuffar of Quraysh, they came to him and they tried to pressure him into divorcing Zainab. He said, Zainab was nothing but kind to me. She has been nothing but a good wife to me. There is no reason for me to divorce her. So he refused to divorce her. Time passed when Rasulullah migrated to Medina to Munawwara Zainab, is still married to Abu al-As ibn al-Rabi. When Battle of Badr takes place, Abu al-As ibn al-Rabi is captured by the Muslims. He's one of the prisoners of war. So obviously there's, you know, SubhanAllah, our seerah is so amazing. And this is something that everyone should spend a little bit of time learning. MashaAllah, there's so many seerahs online that you can listen to, uh, you know, so, by so many different scholars. Make it a habit that every day, you know, you turn it on for 15 minutes or half an hour. Listen to a little bit of the lecture so we understand and we know our history. 
So it's 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 a lengthy uh, you know uh, uh, topic and 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 the incident is so long. Anyways, the Muslims were deciding what to do with the prisoners of war. You know, Umar radiAllahu taala said, "Ya that that you know that was his reply to everything, right? He's like, Ya Rasulullah, <laughs> you know, the Abu Bakr radiAllahu taala, he was soft. Uh, he said, Ya Rasulullah, let's let's uh, you know take ransom for them and then release them back to their families. So they set ransom for all the families. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was sitting when Sayyidatuna Zainab radiAllahu taala anha she sent a necklace which was given to her by Khadija radiAllahu taala anha when she got married as a ransom for her husband Abu Al-As ibn Rabi'ah. When Rasulullah saw the necklace, he started crying. He remembered Khadija. And he told the Sahaba that this technically belongs to all of you. If you want, I can distribute it amongst you. But if you allow, I would like to give this to Abu al-As and send it back to my daughter. He was so fair. He said, this is not mine. This is all of ours. If you allow me, I would like to give it back to my daughter because this is the only thing she has left of her mother. Of course, the Sahaba, you know, they, they were ready to give their life. What is a necklace? So they said, yes, yes, of course, Ya Rasulullah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam let Abu al go, but he made him a prom make a promise. He said, when you go on a certain date, they set a date. He said, after these many days, you will send Zainab to me. He said, I want Zainab with me. So Abu al-As, he agreed. He said, I will send Zainab. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he sent Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu ta'ala anhu and another sahabi to go and collect Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anhu at that appointed place, an appointed time. They went. Abu al-As, he was busy that day, so he sent his brother Kinana ibn Rabi' to go and drop off his wife at that place. So when Kinana was going, this person, Habbar ibn al-Aswad, he saw them leaving Makkah. When he saw them leaving Mecca, he started following them. And he came and he attacked Zainab anha with a spear. She was expecting at that time. She was pregnant. When he hit her, she fell off of her camel and she fell on a boulder because of which she lost her baby. Can you imagine the feelings of Rasulullah in regards to this person? Zainab radiallahu ta'ala, she was so, so badly wounded, she could not travel at that time. She went back to Mecca and after a few days she was able to travel and she, she, she came and she, she went to Medina. But the, those wounds never healed. And in eighth year of, of Hijrah, she passes away. And it, from, she still had the, 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 the pain from those same wounds. That's why the Sahaba used to call her Shaheedah. That she's martyred because while doing hijrah she was she was wounded and she died from the same wounds even though technically she's not a shahida but inshallah she'll get the reward of when she passed away rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave uh, his own sheet to umma salama radiallahu ta'ala anha and he, and he said bathe her and shroud her in my clothing that's the love he had for her. And when the Sahaba, they said, when we went and we were digging the grave, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sat down and he was so solemn. He was, you know, they said that we could not even look at his face. That's how much grief he was in. When they dug the grave, the, 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 you know, after Janazah, it was, it was brought, he lowered her into the grave. When he came out, he was smiling. So the Sahaba asked, Ya Rasulullah, you were, you know, so sad when you went into the grave. When you came out, you were smiling. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, because Zainab is so soft, I was afraid what the loneliness of the grave will do to her. When I was in the grave putting her, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Jibreel alayhi salam and he said, Oh Muhammad, Allah is telling you that you're worried about Zainab. Will it not make you happy if we exempt her from any questioning in the grave? We have exempted her from any questioning in the grave. He said, that is what has made me happy. Now, fast forward to Fath Makkah. Right after this incident, on that day, Rasulullah says, where is that person who killed my daughter? Who made me lose my grandchild? Habbar ibn al-Aswad, he comes. Subhanallah, what can I say about my Habib? Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He comes and who's waiting there? Umar. He said, no, let him talk. Let him say what he has to say. He said one sentence. He said, I have heard your kindness 
فَصْفَحْ عَنِّي مَا كَانَ يَبْلُغُكَ عَنِّي He said, forgive me for anything and everything I have done to you. Look at my Habib, my Kareem, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, oh Habbar, I have forgiven you. He looks at the Sahaba and say, oh my Sahaba, you also forgive him. You want to talk about mercy. If some child hits my child, I will hate that child and the parents of that child for the rest of my life. This person killed the, the daughter of, or became the means of killing the grandchild of Rasulullah and then the end of his own daughter. And he comes and he says that forgive me not only for that, but for everything I have done. He said, I have forgiven you. Not only I have forgiven you, oh my Sahaba, you also forgive him. Everything is forgiven. Give me a better example who is kind towards his people. Look at the time. We said we're going to talk about, you know, it's been already 40, 45 minutes. Yeah, it's 15 minutes. 15 minutes? 50 minutes, mashallah. See, he's keeping track of time. So he must be the hungriest, inshallah. The food is ready. <laughs> Ah. Okay, more. more time? No, inshallah. Just two minutes, inshallah. One more incident, one more person. You probably know his name when I say it. Wahshi. Who was Wahshi? Youngsters. I want the youngsters to tell me who was Wahshi. Youngsters. 15 and under. 18 and under. Wahshi. Yes. Yes. He was the person who killed Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib radiyallahu anhu wa ardaha. Who was Hamza? Again, 15 and under. Fif not 50 and under, 15 and under. Okay. Yes, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's uncle. His father was Abdullah, his grandfather was Abdul Muttalib. So Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib was the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what was his nickname? Anyone? Hamza to Asadullah, he was Asadu Rasuli. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Hamza is the lion of Allah and the lion of his prophet. He was a lion. That's why they knew it was, it was not going to be easy to kill him. That's why they put the reward of freedom for Wahshi, who was a slave. They said, You kill him, you're free. You're not a slave anymore. It used to take them their entire lives to gain their freedom. You say, You kill Hamza, you're, you're, you're free. He did not want to participate in the, uh, in the Battle of Uhud, but he was there just to kill Hamza. And we know that after he killed him, they mutilated his body. And Hinda, she bit into the liver of Hamza because she took an oath that I'm not going to beautify myself until I chew the liver of Hamza because he had killed her, her father. Anyways, when Wahshi, we know the when Fath Makkah takes place, Rasulullah mentions him as one of the people who's supposed to be killed. He comes to Rasulullah he's, he's hidden actually in Abaya. He comes. The, the, the story is long. We want to wrap up. So when Rasulullah asked him, he said, why are you here? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I want to accept I want to accept Islam. There's, there's a whole story behind it. Again, I don't want to take too long. He accepted Islam and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he used to look at him. He used to say, Anta wahshi? Anta qatalta Hamza? So he said, are you wahshi? Are you the one who killed my uncle uh, Hamza? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he looked at the body of Hamza, he said, if it was not for, for his sister Safiya, I would have left the body to be eaten by the birds. And on the day of judgment, I would have been a witness that, Ya Allah, Hamza gave up his body for your sake, for your deen. He said, it was only because of his sister Safiya that I, 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 I shrouded his body. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told wahshi, he said, if you can, if you can, try not to come in front of me. And then we know that Wahshi, how did he redeem himself? Anyone? Yes. He used the same spear that he used for Hamza radiallahu to kill Musaylamatul Kadhab, who claimed to be a prophet. And he did a lot of other things. But let's end with this. A lot of times people wrong us. And we say that we forgive, but we cannot forget. We forgive, but we cannot forget. So when you don't forget, 
next time you see that person, you will remind that person, you did this to me. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's practice was when he said, I forgive you, he would not think about it at all. And this is from the hadith where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, when a person commits a sin and he asks Allah for forgiveness for that sin, Allah forgives that sin. And then what does he do? He tells the angels who wrote it down that erase it from his book of deeds. So they erase it from his book of deeds. But then they remember that they erased it from the book of deeds. So on the day of judgment, they could be a witness. So Allah makes them forget that they ever erased it or wrote it in the first place. Not only that, Rasulullah said, Allah makes even the place where he committed that sin forget he ever committed that sin. So that place cannot be a witness against that person on the day of judgment. We need to adapt the sunnah of Rasulullah in forgetting and forgiving because this will become the source of our forgiveness. Once a sahabi, he was hitting his, his slave. Rasulullah went by, he said, forgive him. So he didn't see him. He didn't know it was Rasulullah. He said, how many times do you want me to forgive him? Rasulullah did not say anything and he left. And then this sahabi, somebody told him, he was Rasulullah sallallahu So he came to the masjid, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I do something and I tell him to do something, he does it wrong. And I tell him again and then he does it wrong again. All the time he keeps on doing it wrong. How many times should I forgive him? He said, forgive him as many times as you want Allah to forgive you. Forgive him as many times as you want Allah to forgive you. Who amongst us that does not want Allah to forgive us? We make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives all of our sins. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to truly understand the message of the Quran and bring it and make it a part of our life. Give us the ability to bring the sunan of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam into our life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us towards Surat al-Mustaqeem. Keep us steadfast on Surat al-Mustaqeem. Give us death on Surat al-Mustaqeem. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reunite us just the way we're sitting here in the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ameen. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. I know food is ready. I'll, I'm, I'm going to take two minutes inshallah if it's okay with you. Is that okay? Two minutes? 15 minutes. <laughs> no, no, not 15 minutes. I just want to mention the project that, uh, alhamdulillah, that we're doing. We're traveling from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, those of you who know me, I was an imam in Manassas. Uh, alhamdulillah, when they started Manassas Muslim Association, I was a part of it. I was an imam for about 10, 11 years uh, in Manassas. Then I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and I started my own institute. Uh, it's called Hira Institute. People ask me, what's your vision behind Hira? I said, I, we want to go back to that moment when Rasulullah was in the cave of Hira and Sayyiduna Jibreel السلام, came and he said, Iqra. That Iqra, we need to go back to that Iqra, that moment. That is, the, that is our vision. That we need to connect every person with the Quran. And a lot of times we, we, we say, you know, Quran and the religious knowledge. But if you look at the, the, the Iqra, Iqra bismi rabbika ladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq, and what is after that? The scholars, they say first Iqra is talking about religious sciences and the second Iqra is talking about worldly sciences. Your science, social studies, you, you talk about math, you talk about medicine, you talk about astronomy, all these are part of that Iqra. That's why Allah used Himself. Iqra bismi rabbika ladhi khalaq. Start and read with the name of your Rabb who created you. So going back to Allah. And then second one, Iqra wa rabbuka al-akram. Read by the name of your Rabb, who is very kareem, who is very kind, who is very, uh, uh, you know, benevolent. Who taught you how to write with the pen. So he's talking about the means, the worldly sciences that becomes the means of, of reaching Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So at Hira, our vision is to combine both. Alhamdulillah, we started in 2019 uh, with six students memorizing the Quran. And we have currently 65 students memorizing the Quran. Alhamdulillah. We have had four Hufad graduate already. Four of them. Alhamdulillah. And we have all the way to high school and we put a lot of resources into our high school program because we know that is what's going to lead them into their university and their future education. And Alhamdulillah, out of those six, four of them have full scholarships to different universities. Four of them are on full scholarship to different universities, continuing their education in whatever field they have chosen. 
Our responsibility is to give them their Islamic identity while they're in their teenage years. So afterwards, when they're 18, 19, 20, and they go out into the world and they face the challenges that we see today, they're able to stand firm on their deen and they know what is right and what is wrong. They're able to know their own identity, their, their Islamic, their culture, their, their, their religion, their way of life. That if somebody comes and says that this is what the society is saying is right, we will say, no, Allah is saying that is wrong, this is right, and I know my deen. Otherwise, we see our youth, how they are turning away from the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I'm telling you this, as the people who have gone and traveled for tabligh, you know, to South America, the people who migrated there from Middle East 150, 200 years ago, now when you go, you will talk to a brother, his name will be Ahmed, okay? His name will be Hamid, his name will be Abdullah. And you say, mashallah, you have a beautiful name, are you Muslim? He'll say, no, my great-grandfather was a Muslim, but I don't know anything about Islam. I'm afraid if we do not protect and preserve this deen in our youth now, that is what's going to happen to our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. May Allah protect our children. May Allah protect our progeny and their iman till the day of judgment. Say ameen. So this is our vision that we want to combine both deen and dunya. That we want our students to be strong in their deen and then go pursue whatever field that they want and, and be strong in their faith. And alhamdulillah, last year, now, now we have close to including our high school, including our tahfiz program. We started the Alamiya program. And for Alamiya program, we're working on our accreditation, which will be, in, which will be equivalent to masters in Islamic studies recognized by the state of Kentucky. We're working on it. So when you do the sixth year of Alamiya program, Arabic intensive, it will be equivalent to a masters in Islamic studies. So we want to combine both. So alhamdulillah, we have close to 100 students. We're leasing space, which is 10,000 square feet, not even. We've been, this is our, our fourth year there. We found a building, 35,000 square feet. 35,000 square feet. We're looking, you know, maybe half an hour away, 40 minutes away, because Louisville is against Ohio River. So it only can go one way. And the city has already grown so much. And we're in the heart of the city right now, the, the space we lease. We're looking outside on the outskirts of the city that we need to go there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us this building half a mile from where we currently are. And it did not even hit the market. We found out through back sources that the, the owners wanted to sell it. And alhamdulillah, we were able to go and sign the contract and buy it. You know, the project is $2 million. You're thinking, wow, $2 million. That's a lot of money. You know how much is left out of that $2 million? $250,000. Everything is done. Just 200, we already closed on the building, we already have the possession of the building because it's an old building, a solid building. We have some pictures, inshallah, you can see, solid building. We changed 144 windows in that building. Every wire, every single wire is brand new. They installed a new pole, uh, the electric company, and they ran all the wires to the building, then every wire is brand new. All the HVAC is brand new, all the bathrooms are brand new. Everything is new in that building. We just need $250,000 to finish. We have the elevator work left, and we have the, they want us to put up another fire escape. We're estimating they're going to allow about 300 students in that building. They said if we do these two things, they will allow 600 students in that building. And you're thinking, Louisville, do they even have 600? This year, we had 42 applicants for hit off full time. They wanted to register. How many? 42. You know how many we took? Seven. Seven out of 42, 35 we had to turn away because we don't have any space. There is a lot of need and there, people understand the value and the need for connecting and strengthening their deen and be able to understand the deen. We're doing the work, but we need your help. Inshallah, we'll be in the back. We have uh, donation boxes. We have flyers. Take some extra flyers. Give it to your friends and family. We don't know who will donate. It will become Sadqa Jariya for you. That, can you imagine every person that's reading Qur'an, every student that's memorizing the Qur'an, مَنْ قَرَأَ حَرْفًا مِنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ فَلَهُ بِهِ حَسَنَةٌ One letter, one good deed, and every good deed is multiplied by 10. So, you know, and we were calculating the other day, just so we understand, you know, a student who's memorizing the Qur'an, they read about 20 pages just for memorizing their new lesson. And then they read another juz that they review, and they say, and then another juice from the back that they review and they say. So they recite about five juice, which is about 100 pages every single day, which equals to five juice. Tell me, when was the last time any of us read five juice in a single day? And you know how many letters there are? 52, about, 
about 30 to 40 letters on each line, 15 lines on a page, times that by 100. 100 pages. That, is, that comes out to about 50 to 60,000 letters in a single day. How many? 50 to 60,000 letters in a single day. And if you multiply that by 10, that's half a million good deeds being written every single day in your book of deeds. And this, tell me if this is not Satqa Jariya. We have credit card readers. You can tap, uh, you know, Apple Pay, uh, Google Pay, whatever you have, uh, inshallah. Uh, donate whatever you can. We have a lot of needy students that are zakat eligible. So if you have any zakah, uh, we do not use it for, uh, for the building. We do not believe uh, from the sunnah that you can use the zakah for building or for operations. It needs to go to the students, so we make sure that it goes in a separate account and we pull it out as needed. So inshallah, if, you, if it is zakah, let us know we can, so we can make sure we mark it so it goes into the right account. Anything that you give, we're 501c3 tax exempt. Everything is tax deductible. Whatever you can do, you know, let me end with this. Sayyiduna Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala once he said that sometimes one dirham is better than 1,000 dirhams. Somebody asked one of his students, he said, how is that, Ya Abu Huraira? He said, the person who gave 1,000, he had a lot. And a person who gave one, he only had two. He gave one of those two. So we don't know, I don't know what your capacity is. You know and Allah knows. Whatever you can do to help the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Please do. Uh, like I said, cash, checks, credit card, everything is tax deductible. Ask for the receipt, inshallah, and take some extra flyers. We have a lot of flyers. Take it, give it to your friends and family, uh, so that way we can become part of this great work of deen in preserving and in, in propagating the, the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from, uh, from all of us, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us the means of the preservation and the protection and uh, propagation of his deen. And I'm sorry for going way over my time. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of us and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reunite us in the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Jannatul Firdos. Ameen. Wa akhiru dawana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.